are back for the podcast that you've all been waiting for, the Women's Olympic Road Race and Time Trial. I'm Abby Mickey. I am, as always, joined by Amy Lauren-Jones. G'day. G'day. That was how we said we would do it, right? G'day. Yes. <laughs> Gracie Elvin is back for another episode and hopefully many more in the future. Gracie, hi. <laughs> G'day. Or hello, hello, hello. a special appearance because we were pretty sure she wasn't gonna make it today but apparently we are irresistible new mother lauren rowney hello hi happy to be here been awake for a few hours (laughs) no i think lauren's made the quickest comeback in women's cycling oh it's true should we get into it? Where do we even start? Like, where should we even start? Okay, so let, let's just let's just lay out the talking points really quickly, and, and then we'll decide like how we're gonna approach this. We have an incredible win from an underdog, like the underest of underdogs. <laughs> <laughs> We've got like a little bit of controversy. We've got some inside knowledge from the Canadian team director. I don't know. I don't know. Where should we start? What do you guys think? We got a debate. We we can debate whether or not, you know, the Dutch should have chased if it was their responsibility or not. Well, let's um, start from kilom- kilometer zero. Let's start from the beginning. Blow by blow. Let's have it. <laughs> we should start. If we start at kilometer zero, we're starting at Kiesenhofer's the attack. same point of the race <laughs> that Anna Kiesenhofer attacked the first attack of the day at kilometer zero. I think that we should start with Anna because yeah, this is the, there are two stories that came out of this race that are like equally as insane with one is just a beautiful story. And one of them is just like, what on earth? And I think that, I mean, the, the controversy at the race got a lot of coverage and it overshadowed Anna's win a little bit, but we, we should start with her because that her ride was incredible. She was so strong. She attacked at kilometer zero. She was in a break with about five riders. They had 10 minutes on the Peloton at one point. And then she soloed away with 41 kilometers to go and rode 41 kilometers solo to the finish and won the race by almost a minute and a half over a minute. And she retired in 2017 Amy, I know you did a piece on her, so you know a little bit more about her. But just from my perspective, I mean, as someone who got in, whose sole purpose in every single race was to just get into the breakaway and hope for the best, this was, it was a dream come true. And it was one of those races that you're watching it and you're thinking, anything is possible. Like, Anything is possible. And I I said this on the Cycling Tips podcast, but I'm sure that you guys maybe can relate a little bit more than than the guys could, that going into the race, I really felt discouraged about watching it because Mm -hmm. there was just so much. It was just the Dutch. It was just like, okay, well, it's going to be a Dutch rider. The only question is which one. And I think like that's not the wrong attitude to go into it given the season that we've had already this year. Of course, there's been other strong riders, but in the last two months, they've been the strongest. And to have that kind of be the, the attitude going into it or, or have been the storyline going into the race and then have Kiesenhofer take this win. I mean, I fell in love with women cycling all over again, watching this race. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I felt the same going into it. I was like, okay, which Dutch rider is going to win today? And then when it got to the, the break, had like 10, 12 minutes, it was kind of like, mm, this is getting a bit spicy now. Like they're running out of time. And then as the race wore on, it was like they were they just weren't working together. And it was kind of like we were texting each other, right? And I think the break's got this. Maybe the break's got this. Um, Lauren obviously wasn't. She was busy. Um, well, I did wake up to um, uh, my boyfriend had my phone the whole time and he's like, you have 365 notifications on WhatsApp. And I was like, 
is it all from freewheeling? And he said, yeah, pretty much. Do you want to go through it all? And I was like, I don't think I need to go through all the messages, but maybe I should just let them know where I was. But I did tell you if I disappeared for an extended period of time, particularly during the one race that I just talk about constantly, of all days, of all days, Harry and Brano decided to arrive. But, yes, continue, Amy. Well, when was yeah, I? Over 300 <laughs> WhatsApp messages. And it was literally just Amy and I losing our minds. Yep. Uh, yeah, pretty much. No, yeah, I think, like, you know, you can say what you want about the Dutch team going into the race and, like, you know, the mistakes that were made. But, like, Kiesnova won fair and square. Like, I mean, their mistakes don't take away from her amazing ride. And it's their fault if they underestimated her. And also on that point, Amy, from your piece, I, I went and did a little bit of investigating after as well just to see who this writer was. She, she's not some, like, complete hubbard. She's obviously someone with a lot of talent. She's got an engine. Um, because when Hannah said her name, I was like, what? Who? I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> and he said, an amateur won the Olympics. And I was like, no, nah, I don't get it. And then once I was a, a bit more with it, um then I sort of started scrolling and stuff so yeah I mean attacking from kilometer zero and being that rider initiating the attack and then crossing the line first doesn't often happen but um yeah I know we're going to probably go off on tangents I think having Gracie here is is fantastic because you know we've raced bikes but we've never lined up in an Olympic road race and we have said before it's a different sort of race um so I'm just curious what your thoughts are, Gracie. Like, why would they allow it to go out to to 10 minutes, which is a hell of a, a, a time, you know, gap when basically you could have just my, – my sort of thought was everyone's just going to look at the Dutch, right, and go, all right, well, you bring this back, which sometimes, you know – then you're almost giving the, the win away yourself if you don't help. But why would you allow it to go out so far? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and a question that I've been asked a few times already. I think letting a break go in the first place was the best move for everybody else um, to make the Dutch work eventually. It's just taking a, away a bit of their strength, I guess, because they're going to have to figure out what to do and who's going to ride. Um but to let it go out that far, um, I think that they, yes, underestimated the strength of that group, especially the Austrian rider. And um, I guess that they were just, you know, playing poker with the rest of the peloton and just had that probably a little bit too much confidence to think, well, then nobody's out there. It's a long climb. There's harder climbs at the finish too. We'll, we, we'll be able to do this. And to be fair... Um, all um, mistakes aside with the, the, the winner, they actually did ride almost a perfect race because they only thought that they were catching those second two riders and they caught them right near the end. Um, and, you know, they, they did time that well <laughs> and then they attacked, Anamika attacked at the finish and got silver. So, yeah, I think that they they certainly let it out too far and maybe... Maybe they didn't ride a perfect race. I shouldn't say that, but maybe they did get a bit confused in the middle as well when Anamik first attacked. Um, she wasn't. She didn't seem to be getting time gaps. The peloton were confused as to who was chase one, um, and in that, that was also the point in time where Anna had attacked the group of three too. So they weren't getting that information either, and I think that's where it all came undone. It was a few factors like I think it was they were perhaps a bit overconfident like a bit cocky I might say I don't know that they thought that you know oh well, we're not going to chase we don't need to do that we're going to let this I mean I don't know what the source of this quote was but apparently Anamik said oh they were just like a break of nobodies or something so they definitely like just thought oh we'll just leave those they'll be fine they'll come back and the other thing I think that contributed to the huge gap that they got was the fact that there were only 67 
riders in the bunch and the the size of the teams you know if you're used to having six riders in every and like the horsepower of like all the big teams being able to pull a break back um I think basically it was just only the Germans who actually even like put together a semblance of an effort to bring them back and yeah I think I don't know it's kind of you wonder what would happen if there were bigger teams but then they knew the situation as well so letting a break go out that far when you don't have big team like loads of big teams to help pull pull them back is is an interesting decision here's an here's an interesting debate that i we talked briefly on the cycling tips podcast but i think would be way more interesting to kind of figure out here um was it the dutch responsibility to chase yeah did they have did they have that responsibility on their shoulders because i firmly say Yes, when you go into the race with that many winners, like that much firepower, that when all eyes are on you, I feel like you've you've inadvertently put that kind of pressure on yourself. But talking to Sean uh, of the of Team Canada, he said that you know it's not necessarily the Dutch who shout out to Sean for all of his insider tips, but it's not necessarily the Dutch's responsibility to chase like. They they played chicken because they had four winners and and they they just lost. But is it is it their responsibility? What do you guys think? Well, the, why would the other teams drag the Dutch back up to the break to bring them all back together so that the Dutch could then just fire off all their winners? Like, I mean, you know, it's why because would they, they probably that? had comp- this is a similar opinion that okay, uh, quoting Anamique, that it was three nobodies as such and then yeah going back to your point amy that that's why they probably thought okay 10 minutes but this is the dutch like you said it's a hard course there's no way these three are gonna hang out there um so let's just not work and see what happens but at the same time in the back of my mind if i was a rider there um yeah if you're one rider like say Emilia Farland or such you're not going to go up to the front and work but if you have a full team why wouldn't you send a couple of riders if you were starting to doubt because again I think 10 minutes is is pretty big and at a certain point there would have had to be like some moment of doubt and I'm curious as to why the other team leaders didn't I don't know see this mm. I, think, I think something the the dutch did which might have been one of the factors that put other people off from not contributing to the chase was there was no clear worker in the dutch team and they were taking turns and so they were still hedging their bets that they had four winners instead of just putting demi on or just putting mariana on the front and i think if they just had one person working it would have set a clear statement to the rest that maybe those other teams with all four, four riders as well and with some favourites should also put one worker in there as well. But I think going back to what you guys are saying, like Amy and Abby, like of course you wouldn't ride if you're just going to bring back four Dutchies that could win. Like at least you know that one will be burned if, they're gonna, if, if just one's going to ride it. They also underestimated the course, which is kind of – they're – so such incredible riders and they've well with the exception of Demi they've been at this for a really long time so you'd imagine that they would not underestimate the course but I think maybe they saw the the amount of kilometers they had left in the race and thought that they could still pull it back while also thinking that there were not strong riders up the front I mean if you looked at the number of kilometers they had left in the race when Anna went solo, it was like 41 kilometers left in the race, right? But those 41 kilometers were included a massive descent where you could not organize a chase if you wanted to because you couldn't rotate, you couldn't go faster than the person out front. And the descent was long enough that it basically chopped those 41 kilometers, you know, pretty much in half. So they would have had to organize a lot sooner if they did want to bring someone back. I think that that is 
I mean, I don't, it's hard to imagine that they would make that kind of mistake, but it's also hard to imagine that there would have been this much miscommunication within a team that caliber of rider. So at this point, it's like, okay, well, maybe that is. And we still, there are still no clear reports on whether or not the, the timing board at the race was a mistake or not. Like mm. we still have no idea if the, the moto, the moto with the time stamps was giving the time from Anna to chase one, which was Omer and, uh, Anna Plicta and not Anna and the Peloton. We still don't know, um, what, what the situation was there, which is super unfortunate. I wish that, that we knew like what the, what the heck happened, there. but <laughs> I don't know. I think that they they may have underestimated just how how technical the course was from from the you know fifty k to go mark. Thing that we are all kind of saying about the Dutch teams going into like every Olympics and World Championships has happened in that they took a whole team of favorites and it fell apart because they didn't know who was the leader, which is exactly what everyone would say. Like oh. You know, like there's so many winners on that team. Like, it, how are they going to take it? Because, you know, they they could all win individually. Will they work for each other? And then they just pull it out the bag. But this time, it actually did fall apart. And the difference between this and the World Championships is the World Championships, you can have more riders. Mm. Imagine how different this race would have been if it had had the same number of riders as the men's race. It would have been a completely different race. Well, that's an interesting point on the the fact that next time there's going to be more riders but it depends how they allocate the places right if they then up the amount of spots that like if the dutch have like six and then like you know other people have two that's just going to be ridiculous but i guess that tbd on that one we'll see seems like they never quite get it right Mm. (laughs) Far be it from them to make a logical choice, but then. So do we feel, do we feel sorry for the Dutch? Do we like sympathize with them or are we kind of like, you know what? You had it coming. I'm kind of like, you know what? You had it coming. Like with <laughs> well, all due respect, I. I mean, imagine though being anime and actually thinking you'd won after yeah, everything, after everything in Rio. So, I mean, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to the time trial, of course, which is, is brilliant, but that would have really sucked so do we feel sorry for them yeah i i can't help but in a sense for her in that moment Mm. to be told oh actually no you're not the winner yeah i feel sorry for pretty much the whole peloton that seemed like there were some riders that did know what was going on and some that didn't and just to even though we won't know probably ever for sure what really happened with the timing boards it's like it's it's still pretty clear that it wasn't the same level of communications with timings that we would get in a regular race so that in itself is unfair for everybody involved and I do feel the most sorry for my old teammate who was the Dutch director Luce Gunnawak in the car and she she did know a lot of the information and she didn't have any way of getting it out to her riders because you know there was points in the race they just weren't coming back to the car to chat so she was in this horrible position of not having enough control (laughs) and I really feel sorry for her because she is definitely gonna you know cop some flack back on this as well that that kind of goes back to having just one rider who who's just there to ride the front though because if they'd had you know Chantal or uh or Ellen Van Dyke or Lucinda there who could have just sat on the front it kind of opens it up for Anna Vandenbergen to go back to the car and chat with the director and know that everything at the front is taken care of. That yeah, it kind I agree. of it all ties back to just them making maybe maybe just making a mistake in the selection process, which to be fair to the Dutch, I see why they would have thought this was a good idea. Well, it's like um, who do you drop out of those right like who would you not take? Yeah. Yeah. I was about to that. say the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like an impossible question right i mean well you you can narrow it down to two but it's still an impossible thing to kind of with the way that demi's been riding this year it's kind of like well she she kind of earned her spot yeah maybe she's a little bit new but she's like she won the course so she won the course and she won liege bastogne like she clearly was 
a good pick and and Voss won three stages of of the the Giro and and won Amstel gold and <laughs> so it's like who would have been the team captain Voss on the day because I mean particularly when you don't have radios having a team captain becomes even more important right someone who has to really look at look at this overall picture and sort of yeah it's like a game of chess trying to figure out what move you have to make um but also taking that responsibility to just say demi we need more information go back i don't think she's gonna be calling anna to go back but or making the call herself i'm gonna go back because yeah um i didn't realize that it was loose that was um actually in the car gracie so that would be incredibly frustrating i've been a ds a few times um and i I know when you're listening to what's happening in the race and then you're seeing your riders not reacting or or doing something that, you know, they they should be um, and you can't communicate with them is very frustrating. And so, yeah. Yeah. I certainly have a limited level of feeling sorry for the people in this situation though because it was only three riders that they had to know about from and it was from the start. So you had over 100 kilometres to go back to your car and ask who they are. Um, so even if you never got time gaps, just knowing that there was three out there and, and what they were, you know, maybe capable of, I think that's really basic tactics and that's something that most of the top riders should have known before that crunch phase of the 40K to go. Should we talk about any other nations? I feel we've done a, we've done a Dutch deep dive. But, I mean, they weren't the only nation in the race, regardless of how much responsibility they should or shouldn't have had. I mean, the U.S. still had a couple good options in, in Corinne, for sure. And the Italians obviously had Elisa Longaborghini, who got third. So it's not like the Dutch were the only team. But if you're, you know, the U.S. or, or Italy and you're looking at what the Dutch are doing... I mean, we touched on it briefly with, you know, you they're not working, so why would you pull them around? But still interesting tactics from them as well to kind of make that gamble of just being like, well, if the Dutch aren't going to do it, we aren't going to do it. It's like the whole Peloton played chicken with three riders, basically. It's negative. It's negative racing, isn't it? Like it's Yeah, and at the end of the day, yeah, they're all going to lose because there's three riders up the road and there's three medals available, so... Yeah, you have to keep rolling the dice in your favour. And if if you're going to bring more Dutchies with you, it's still going to be better odds for you than if there's three people up the road that are never going to come back. I was going to say, I felt most sorry for, like, the small nations with, like, one or two riders. Like, I think Cecilia Ludwig was pretty, she didn't mince her words after the race about how she felt about how, how it was raced. And, I mean, she also, she lost her one and only teammate to a crash as well in Eminor's guard. So yeah, and, and France with just one rider. Um like they, I mean, they weren't gonna just hop on the front and try and pull the rope back and just kill themselves. Like so yeah, you I mean the bigger teams like could have got together in a concerted effort to bring it's not just on the Dutch. I'm gonna eat my words from earlier. I mean there's a lot of other riders in the race yeah well not that many 67 yeah. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> how many Very teams true. are four four or five teams are four uh germany germany Thanks. italy u.s dutch and australia um, australia yeah so i think five yeah yeah what were the aussies up to <laughs> um the aussies probably were less responsible than some of the more favourites. So the Americans probably should have put one in to help. The Italians definitely probably should have put one in, uh, maybe Germans as well. Um, Australians had less, you know, favourite, likely medal contenders, so they probably could have put one in if they wanted to, but I don't think that they were necessarily as responsible to. But at the end of the day, they actually didn't have a great day, so they probably just weren't quite capable of it anyway on that particular day. Unfortunately, we had Spratty get dropped much earlier than what anyone would have expected, which was a real shame because we all know how, you know, capable she is as a rider. And same with Grace Brown. She 
must have gone into the red following an attack from I think it was Anna van Breggen quite early on and just couldn't quite recover from that and and Grace is definitely capable of a, of a much better day so that's another big factor at the Olympics it's a it's a big peak one day race and sometimes if it doesn't go your way you can have a real bad day and there's nothing you can do about it and on the topic of bad days, the weather, I think, played a pretty big role into a lot of how the riders were feeling. Um, Sean said that when Anna Shackley rode through the feed zone, she got off her bike because she was cramping or she completely had fallen apart at that point because of the heat and the humidity. So the heat and the humidity played a huge role for for a lot of riders, especially riders who didn't you know, put in the effort to do heat adaptation beforehand. Um, or, or didn't have the means to, I mean, it's, this was the hottest, I think the hottest Olympics that we've ever, that we've seen in, in quite a long time. Um, and for a lot of the riders who maybe got like a last, last minute call up or didn't, you know, didn't quite understand what they were getting themselves into with the weather that would have, I mean, heat and humidity when you're riding through that, it just like you feel so heavy. It's like your legs are filled with sand. And I imagine that had a pretty big role. I didn't know that about Anna Shackley. She's Scottish, bless her. So she's probably... I mean, it, it left Lizzie, who was definitely a favorite. It left her isolated, so... Yeah. That was... I mean, that, that's a whole mess. one teammate and your one teammate drops out in the feed zone... Or, I mean, she didn't drop out. Like, she she physically couldn't keep riding. But if you only have one teammate, like, it's you're really in a rough spot. (laughs) I want to give a special shout out to Tiff Cromwell. I reckon she had a super great ride for her abilities and the conditions and all of that. I think she kept yo yoing even right at the end. And, she was certainly, she was supposed to be a team captain for Australia and, and someone that could have ridden if the favourites of Spratt and Brown were still there, but she was the last Aussie left and fought hard. So, yeah, I just want to say that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, that she's just, I'm just so impressed with her this whole season. It, it's so awesome to see. I mean, it's like you see so many riders, you know, have have these incredible entries into into racing and then kind of teeter off a little bit and never come back and a lot of them leave the sport and for tiff she was so good when she started and then had you know she's had a couple years where it's not been things haven't been clicking for her and this year is is definitely one of those years that's like it just proves that everything that she's been working for the last however many years she's been racing is is not for nothing and this would definitely be kind of a cherry on top of of the season she's had already and i think you know going into the next races she can take her ride in tokyo and take a lot of confidence from it and maybe she'll get some opportunities to race for herself in the next coming races yeah a lot of people just forget that no one's an overnight success at the olympic games and i was racing tiff and spready back in under 15s and that was a long time ago now. So, and they were really good back then. So it's a credit to both of them that they were able to survive that jump from juniors to seniors and be so successful now. But Tiff had to wait, you know, 15 years for her Olympic shot. So good on her for persevering. I want to bring it back. Speaking of overnight successes, I want to bring it back <laughs> to Anna Kiesenhofer really quick because I – we just don't know a ton about this rider. So Amy, can you tell us like a little bit about her from your research? Yeah. Um, her story is pretty unique. Um, so she, she was a Jew athlete and a triathlete. She studied mathematics. Couldn't be me. Um, from like, she did a master's at Cambridge university in the UK. And then she was still a Jew athlete at the time got injured running, took up cycling. She entered a 10-mile time trial, which is an institution institution in the UK. Um, she came dead last. Um, then she moved to Girona, actually. Shout out to Girona. Um, oh, wow. And she was an amateur. Um, she raced for a local team. Um, and while she was studying for a PhD, as you do, 
And um, she, uh, in 2016, she won the Spanish National Cup, like the series of races around Spain. And then the same year, um, she entered the Ardèche, the race in Ardèche, which I'm not going to say the full name of. Um, and she won a stage on Vontu from like, so she, I think she bridged to a break, dropped them at the bottom of the climb and won the stage by like, I think nearly four minutes or something. So, I mean, you have to be pretty good to do that. Yes, okay, it's like a 2.2 race, but still. Um, she came second overall in that. So obviously that got the attention of some teams and she signed for Lotto Sudal for 2017. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what happened at the beginning of that season, but she had like a series of DNS in the classics. Like it didn't, she wasn't having a great time. I don't think she stopped racing midway through the season. I think to be honest, she said herself, she just hates uh, bunch racing. I mean, hence, hence the fact that she buggered off from kilometer zero <laughs> in, the, in the race. Um, and yeah, so she stopped racing midway through that season kind of, yeah, retired, didn't race at all in 2018 and then came back again as an amateur in um, 2019. And she basically just exclusively races time trials. Um, and she's been the Austrian national time trial champion, uh, I think three times now. Um, and she, yeah, she's working as a teacher at the university that I've, I got told off for saying the wrong name of the university is is in Lausanne in uh, in Switzerland and um she balances that with just like she she coaches herself um she said something like in the I think it was the press conference after the race like she was asked what advice that she would give to young riders and she said don't trust authority too much which I loved um and yeah I mean she's just a she's just a kind of like a privateer racer like she just kind of does her own thing like she's not interested in being a pro by the sounds of things like if she hates bunch racing she said after after the race i think somebody asked her is this going to change you and she was like no i'm just going to go back to my job <laughs> yeah which i think is great with her gold medal and hang it up in her uh, office yeah <laughs> amazing right. but she um she raced Ardesh last year didn't she and there was actually a really good lineup at Ardesh in 2020 and i think she got was it third overall last year did she yeah i'm pretty sure i was yeah, reading she was really taking yes. it to the the leaders of that race yeah so, so again that kind of went under the radar yeah still exactly but going back to it this this athlete she has an incredible engine um and she she knew that her chances she said it in the interview right that her, her biggest chance would be actually going for the long break um and she pulled it yeah. off but she, yeah, you know, well, she's a mathematician. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, if you're a one-out rider, if you don't have any teammates, sometimes the best defensive is good offensive and she just went on the offensive straight away. And, you know, it's there's two reasons why you would go in an early break. It's because you're hopeful and you think maybe you could pull it off because the peloton won't get those mathematics quite right. And or the other one is just it's your only chance to get a bit of exposure because you know that you'll never be able to win whichever which way. So it's cool that she had that self-belief and she knew her strengths and just, you know, did it. Or she was just like, I don't want to ride in the peloton. I'm just going to go up front <laughs> and hang out out there. And Yeah, we all know people like that. <laughs> I used to do that, but, but the just... opposite way around. Isn't it just like the best thing when you watch the highlights package is just like the to be Olympic champion attacking from the gun? Like, well, it's really Anamique's fault when you think about it. She's kind of created a few monsters now with her tactics from from, from, from these championships. Oh, uh, the 2019 Worlds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, oh yeah, that race. Mm. Yeah. Some stats on Anna, I think. I don't know, I haven't checked her Instagram account today, but a few days ago she jumped from about 1,200 followers in the race or at the start of the race to over 30,000 followers in a couple of days. And if you put $100 on her, you would have won $50,000. Oh, my God. You're a gambling person, which I'm not condoning, but that's uh, not bad, is it? 
Oh, <laughs> uh, some good stats there. I Man. love that she doesn't. I mean, we'll see what happens next year if she if she does get a contract out of this and she does, you know, we see her in the bigger races if she wants to. I mean, it's like doesn't sound like she wants to, but it'll be really interesting if if we do. I mean, heck, at least if she doesn't sign a contract, she can definitely finagle her way into a bike with all one component system because she had SRAM and Shimano on her bike. Like she didn't even, her bike was like a Frankenstein bike. She didn't even have like a complete, you know, she didn't have a pro bike set up. Like That's this, brilliant. Is, this is so wild and just like so cool. But this it's is so cool. It's so cool because this is what the Olympics was about, right? It was yeah. about highlighting the best amateur athletes in the world and putting them on the stage. And then also, I mean, yeah, the the friendship of the Olympics, bringing nations together and everything. And it's just the, the whole story is just beautiful. Um, and out of all the stories I think that will come out of the Olympics, this one for me is just the most special. Yeah, I agree. And with the amateur tat, like theme, like I guess that's another question too that we can debate. Should we ever have race radios in an Olympic race? Because it kind of was a major factor in this one. And is it good? Is it safe? Is it important because that we use it in all other races? Or is it also good to, you know, remove that, that element, that variable? I'm a big fan of race radios, but mostly because of the safety factor, you know, when there's, for example, it's not to my knowledge. Well, no, at the Giro, they, they change the course mid race and the riders find out through the radios. So stuff like that, you know, safety and like crucial information wise, I feel like I'm always a fan of race radios. If it's a race like the Olympics, you would really, really hope that they have everything completely dialed where they do not need it for safety. And in that case, yeah, take the race radios out for one race. Clearly, it was like it made for some wild bike racing. Well, the riders have to think yeah. for themselves, right? And it comes down to um, communication. It's always communication in bike racing, but you don't have that person in your ear. You have to make the decisions. It's like when you start out bike racing, um, it's that that's where you learn. You develop your instinct. Um, and sometimes I think race radios can take that away a little bit. Should we talk about the time trial a little bit? Yes. Oof. We can move on. I think we can move on. Did we cover it? Did we get everything? Probably missed some things, but. Other than just to say that I think it's, you know, there was debate about whether it was good or not for the image of women cycling that an amateur won. And I just think, I mean, I wanted to throw my phone in the bin the other day after that tweet, but um, it's, it is a good thing. It's a good story that got attention on women's cycling outside of cycling as well. I had like my mom texting me going like, how amazing that she's an amateur and she wants like people who, don't just follow the bubble of cycling or women's cycling. We're hearing this story and thinking like, that's extraordinary. And then from there, you don't know, people might start following women's cycling. I mean, if that's what they're going to expect every time, <laughs> maybe not. But, you know, still, it got attention on women's cycling, which is what we're all about, right? So, but just yeah. going back to one more time for people who don't understand, physiologically, we're talking about an athlete here who has an engine, so, okay, she's not a professional athlete, but how often do we see women come into the sport of an older age, when I say older, say in their 20s, late 20s, and excel within a year or something, right? No, I mean, come, the, the professional men start at 19 years of age or something. Um, no, it's true. The women come into the sport way later and, and are able to just push out the watts. and Like, exactly. Sometimes she yeah yeah that's that's just um, my driving home point is she won up von two which is one hell of a climb the way she did it you just have to do a little bit of research and see that this is not just some cat three rider for example that got a spot on the austrian team this is a uh, an yeah a talented athlete um who took a gamble 
And there were many variables that happened in that race that led to the race actually just going in her favor. And it was just that that is the highlighting point that a well-deserving winner won the race. Yeah. An outside chance could have won 50 grand if I bet on her, but (laughs) what a missed opportunity. Yeah, man. It's, um, it's really a surprise that the, the fight to get into the break wasn't actually more aggressive given that everyone knew how strong the Dutch were going, going into the race and that an organized chase would have been hard on the course, but also given the limited number of riders. I think that was a factor though. I think because there was a limited number of riders and the conditions on the course was just too scared. So it was probably always going to be a little bit of a negative race. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But we can we can kind of sign off talking about the road race by just saying like I I think I speak for all five of us four of us I can't count why did I just say five I think <laughs> I speak so many for minutes. all four of us <laughs> I speak for all four of us when I say that this this win was just incredible like a once in a lifetime thing to watch and I I would not have had it any other way like. Mm-hmm. Now in the aftermath, I mean, maybe I don't speak for Gracie. I know her less. I know you less than I know the other two. But <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, maybe in the moment it was like, what on earth is going on? But kind of in hindsight, the amount of people that were tweeting about it, my entire Twitter was completely like swamped with people talking about it that don't usually, you know, always follow women's racing which is one of the beautiful things about the Olympics is that you get all of these people who maybe don't watch women's racing all the time. They, they'll watch the Olympic race, which is why it's such a crucial race and why people are, are so focused on it. And every four years, you know, the, the speed in the Peloton goes up because of this one event. And clearly there's a reason why. And I think, I mean, I think it, I see where people are coming from saying that that's, it's not good for women's racing, but I think that it's that <laughs> they just maybe don't know. I feel like it's great. <laughs> like I just, no, I, I completely agree. Yeah. It's great. I don't think you need to say anything more. <laughs> you don't just say anything more, Abby. Yeah, right. When okay. Mike drop next. The one thing to, you know, be happy about is how many young women she's inspired to go, wow, I can do that actually too. Yep. We don't have to be scared of the Dutch juggernaut. Yep. (laughs) It's like doable. It's really cool. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Time trial. Let's talk a little bit about the time trial. So I feel like we can start at the top. Anamie Van Vluten, after thinking she won the road race, what an absolutely heartbreaking moment that would have been to cross the line, arms in the air, thinking that you'd won the Olympic road race, only to get to your very, very, very confused soigneur and have them tell you, no, in fact, someone finished a minute and 15 seconds or whatever before you (laughs) that you didn't know was up the road. And then to come back, you know, two, three days later and win the time trial. And she... She really won the time trial. She won by 56 seconds over Marlon Rusa and uh, Anna Vanderbregen was was third, a minute and two seconds down. But it was a really challenging course, a lot of up and down. They raced on that motorway, which after the Worlds last year and then this, this Olympics, you'd think that they're getting quite used to racing on motor racing tracks. <laughs> but yeah, it was... The best moment for me was when she looked at the camera and you could just, the the pure joy on her face. I mean, she looked like a 12-year-old on Christmas morning when she's gotten exactly what she wanted for Christmas. And she just said, hi, mom. And it was the best thing. And pointed to her earrings. Pointed to her earrings, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, it was just like, I think a very, very deserving winner won this ITT given how she tried so hard in the road race and how that didn't work out. And she's, there was, you know, some speculation about her form going in just because she didn't, she's not been on, you know, top on meek form in 2021, but clearly did something right leading up to the Olympics and congratulations to on because a, a, she deserved this. She deserves this gold medal, especially after Rio. And then after the road race, it's, yeah, well-earned gold medal for Anamique. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you can only imagine that the whole situation with the road race just galvanized her as well. And she probably had that in her mind the whole time. So yeah, definitely deserved. Yeah, this has been a long time coming. Um, I got to see her the the morning after her crash in Rio in hospital, and it was it was really hard to be there that day. She was really a broken person, and to see her fire in her eyes ever since that day, leading up to this moment, like to see how hard she's worked and how much she sacrificed. Um, she certainly copped some criticism over the last few years of, of, you know, how she's raced or how she's prepared. But at the end of the day, she went really went inside herself and figured out what she needed to do to get to that point. And she managed to pull it off on that day. So, yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment of how nice it was to see her celebration when she knew. Yeah, and going back to our predictions before uh, the prediction podcast, we did say you can never discount her and that she is such, well, Gracie raced with her for many years, um, such a methodical person in that way. She would have done every little bit right leading up to this moment. And, um, yeah, congratulations, Anamique. And really interesting that Marlon Russo got second. I mean, not interesting, but, you know, not surprising at all, given how how good of a time trialer she is. And then Grace Brown in, in fourth, which incredible, is incredible, incredible performance would have been I'm just sure yes, would have really wanted to be on that podium. But it's still just a really amazing ride from Grace. Yeah, and to turn around a bit of a disappointing day from the road race only a few days later to pull out such a strong ride in the time trial is really impressive. And it goes to show how mentally, you know, strong she was to to turn that around because it's, you know, it's a, still a mental game as much as a physical game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible ride from Marlon Brosa as well. Like, I mean, that's, she got second in the world last year as well. So it's kind of wasn't necessarily a surprise. I guess the, the biggest surprise was that Anna van der Breggen um, could only manage third. But Marlon Brosa is obviously really a really really strong time trial list so be interesting to see go on no I was just gonna say we were you know we're very much team Elise shabby but Switzerland made 100% the right yeah. choice and she's she's well you know what time trial specialists are like like they're a special kind of person and when you're a time trialist it's really I don't know how to describe it they're very focused um on that discipline and everything would have again led up to this moment, just like the world's last year, everything to just peak on that day. But I think we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the weather, um, this is maybe just a final talking point, but I think Tokyo, the, the, the conditions there, just watching all the other sports that I've been watching um, some of the favorites in like rowing events, for example, it's just been, the weather has just been, I don't know how to even describe it. Like I come from the Gold Coast in Australia and the humidity there is horrible. But Tokyo. I mean, there was literally um, Tokyo, a typhoon. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they had to move yeah. some of the, the water sport events because of this. But just um, even watching the men's time trial, like Walt Van Art was just, oh, it was like the, the sweat was soaked through everything. Um, so I think, yeah, the conditions definitely affected a lot of riders. And I just wanted to, to point that out, that going back to also what Gracie said, these are one-day events. So if you show up and, you know, you've done every little bit right, but on the day you have a bad day and something like the weather could be the main factor, that's it. It's an uncontrollable yeah. factor. And, it's- and the course did look wet for the first bunch of riders in the women's time trial. So I think that would have been difficult too. And that start looked quite technical. So a lot of riders didn't probably get the fast start that they were hoping for. And the second half of the field had a bit more of a drier road. Um, someone that I was actually hoping to get a medal that looked almost likely for a little while was Ashley Mormon Passio. She had a great ride and I think she would have been a quite a worthy medal winner, but it wasn't to be. <laughs> Yeah, she's had an incredible season, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and she also would have been another one who was pretty disappointed about the road race. Um, 
having been, you know, she had one teammate who was up the road, um, but she was pretty much on her own for the road race and would have fallen into, like Amy said, the category of riders who would have had basically no power to be able to do anything in the time trials, you know, a solo event. So it kind of, you don't need, you don't need teammates who needs them. Anamique Van Vluten doesn't <laughs> in, in the time trial. <laughs> Worth mentioning just like really quick, and I really don't want to get into it, so I'm just going to mention it, that the top American was Amber Neben. No, not that I don't want to mention that the top American was Amber Neben. Amazing ride by Amber. She finished fifth, like incredible ride by Amber. I think I was really critical of that decision, um, and she didn't win. So I take back only a little bit of my critical uh, critical analysis of the of the U.S. team. But really impressive to see Amber Neben up there in fifth. I mean, she's yeah. I mean, she um, she was world champion, I think, in two thousand. She's forty six. Amber Neben is forty six. Yeah. She was fifth in the time trial at the Olympics, and that is freaking impressive. That is so impressive. And the the second American was Chloe Digert in seventh, and we did not know how she was going to look, how she was going to go into the this race we just don't know she's only had one race day since she crashed in the time trial at the world's last year in imola and she's only had two race days in the last two years being that time trial that she crashed in and the national championships that she won earlier this summer and she, she finished seventh and we have no idea you know what would have happened but she was still a favorite going into the race and um amber beating chloe is a is an interesting development that I felt was worth a mention. It looked like Chloe had some problems out on the road, so I'm not sure if much has been released about her performance, but mm -hmm. she didn't look like she had a very good day in the road race and the time trial was probably the more surprising result. She looked really uncomfortable, looked like maybe something was wrong with her bike as well. So I'd be interested just to know what really happened with Chloe out there and also how she's going to be able to go in the track racing as well. Yeah, she can redeem herself for sure. The very final time trial thing that we absolutely need to mention, because this is, this is, I ha I'm so critical of the Olympics and especially as the years go on, I just really struggle with the, the IOC and the politics and the money and what it does to the countries it goes through. Um, but one of the reason, one of the things that really um, is so beautiful about the Olympics is that it is probably the most diverse sporting event in the world. With the people that you that the the people you're watching, I mean, watching the road race, you know, you never would have seen that diverse of a peloton in Europe racing any of the the world tour races, and in the time trial, I'm I'm gonna butcher her name, but Ellie's Elizada from Afghanistan raced the time trial. And she said that she wanted to show women at home that it was possible. And I think that that is, you know, that is like this, that is the Olympics. That's the spirit of the Olympics right there is having her, her out there proving that anything between Anna Kiesenhofer and also Mozama between the two of them. I mean, there's so much hope in women's cycling. Um, and the two of them really embodied everything that women's cycling can be and should be in the future. And I think it was it was awesome to see her out there. Ian Ian Trelor, one of well, if the best, he's the best writer at Cycling Tips. He wrote a story about her if you want to check it out on cyclingtips.com. Um Amy? Yeah. Um, I just think it's an incredible story and it's also kind of, you know, when we're talking about competing in sport and like, you know, riders riding for their nations and it's like a given and something that people might take for granted. But when you're displaced from your country, you don't have that support and you don't have that option. Like it's pretty cool that she gets to have this opportunity to race for this refugee team. Um, and it's it also just shows the power of, of sport and what it can do for people and how it can change people's lives. Because, yeah, I mean, if you read the article, you see that um, she she was part of a team in Afghanistan of women. Um, and, you know, they get, they get a lot of shit for it. And um, she went and raced over in France um, and got 
I don't really know how it happened, but a French businessman ended up like sponsoring like her visa and her family's and now she lives there. Um, you know, and that's all through through cycling. You know, it's cha- it's literally changed her life. And yeah, she came dead last in the time trial, but that's completely irrelevant. The point is that she was there and she got that opportunity and and she's hoping to change the perception of of women cycling in in places like Afghanistan. So yeah, it's just a really cool story and it's a humbling thing to read about you know when you're talking about all these high performance like you know the opposite end of the spectrum kind of thing and it's you know having you know fretting over that kind of thing is a privilege you know it's it just kind of makes you realize so yeah brilliant story say i'm really glad that you guys wrap this up with this beautiful story because i think that's yeah true embodiment of the olympic games and she was she was on a five-year-old scott road bike with clip-on bars and it's yeah that's completely not the point either the fact that she was out there just doing it and enjoying it it was just really wonderful Mm -hmm. and we may like be critical of the 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 spot allotment and how spots get handed out for the olympics but i think it's more i i think when it comes to this when it comes to giving riders like her an opportunity and you know you we had riders from Namibia and Eritrea and a ton of other smaller countries that that don't it's hard it's way harder for them to get to Europe and get into the the world tour peloton or even you know the the smaller races it, it's there's so many hurdles and cycling is such an expensive sport and i i love that the spots can be allocated to riders like this just because it's the most watched race in the world. You know, it means that for a day we look like a much more diverse sport than we are. And hopefully that means that in the future we will be. And I mean, what's at the end of the day, we've had this discussion before, like it's sport is just sport, right? We're not, curing cancer or saving lives or anything. So if there are opportunities to actually inspire and empower people, particularly women, um, like this Afghani woman, um, that, that's what it's all about. It's not about how many gold medals someone like Chloe Diger can win, right? That, that doesn't inspire me. That's not something that's going to sit deep with inside of me. Like I can get really excited about watching um, yeah, Anna Vanderbregen attacking and everything. But th- these are the stories that resonate within all human souls, I think. We just have three more years to wait. Yeah, we got man. a short wait this time <laughs> to Paris. Can start talking about <laughs> next year. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> I think that's good. I think that's a, a really good point to end on. Um, unless we ended on just, uh, we're, we don't cover triathlon, but just like a really quick congratulations to Flora Duffy of Bermuda for winning the women's triathlon because I went to college with her and we raced bikes in college together and she was just an absolute beast. And I think this is her fourth Olympics. Maybe I think her yeah. first Olympics was in 2008 and, um, she's had some just horrendous luck. I mean, she, she crashed in Rio. I, I'm pretty sure. And she was, the hot favorite to win in Rio. And then she crashed and she's also been through a lot of physical, um, injuries in the last couple years. And so getting, getting to Tokyo for her and, um, race and winning and winning the triathlon was just, it, it took so many years to get to that point and having watched her go through so much to get there. And then the, there's a photo of her after she one and she's standing at the finish line with her arms in the air while the other um while the other athlete is like coming down the finishing straight because they're friends and they're both like like so excited and they're both got their arms in the air and i think that that's just another thing about you know everyone's in the peloton like everyone's friends <laughs> so it's like yeah it's beautiful, that's beautiful super thing. nice and we we saw that in the cross-country women's race too. There were so many hugs yeah. after it with all of them. It was really sweet. And there were so many tears and all for different reasons, but mm-hmm. it was a really nice thing to watch. Yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about the cross-country race, which I feel like we should because it was pretty- What a beast. 
Wow. Switzerland, man. We can talk about it next episode. Yeah. We'll talk about it next episode. I gotta feed a baby, guys. <laughs> Lauren's gotta feed her baby because she gave birth during the road race because <laughs> timing, <obviously>. man. Timing, <laughs> really. Could not believe uh, I it. talked about it for five years and then didn't even get to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Cheers, Harry. <laughs> well, congratulations to Lauren and to all the medal winners of the Olympic Games. <laughs> I deserve a medal. I deserve a medal for it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. We'll make you one of those medals out of, you know, the yogurt tops <laughs> with like a chain of uh, safety pins. I'll send you one. You got it. But thank you so much for listening to Freewheeling. We'll be, we will be back next week for another episode. Maybe next week we'll talk about the mountain bike race. Who knows? And some track events. We'll really yeah. um, get out of our comfort zone. <laughs> I'll do some research. Amy, Amy has panic in her eyes. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back. Thank you so much. Thank you.